So today um, I'm talking with Dill Green, who's a member of the lowimpact.org co-op. He used to be an architect and was a founder member of Brixton Let's and is now on the team of the um, building the UK Mutual Credit Network. So Dill, um, tell us a bit more about uh, what you've been up to and uh, how you got to this point. Okay. Um, so yeah, as you said, I uh, have been an architect, been an architect sort of, I've started studying it uh, donkeys years ago. I've been a working architect uh, until a couple of years ago, about 30 years um, experience. And in the course of that, uh, in the course of my studies and then uh, all the way through my practice, I uh, came across a chap called Christopher Alexander who had invented a technique called pattern languages, um, initially for addressing uh, architectural design, but uh, I fairly quickly realized that it was a brilliant tool for helping us poor humans uh, map and uh, approach design problems in all sorts of uh, complex systems areas uh, of which uh, finances uh, and, and human economics uh, is obviously one. So um, uh, that work all the way through that uh, was pushing me towards getting better at understanding systems dynamics, complex systems interactions. And I was always very interested in that. Um, I'd always been uh, fairly alternative uh, started uh, was a founder member of a housing co-op 30 years ago which didn't go anywhere and a founder member of a, another co-op called Brixton Common Land uh, in the late 90s uh, which aimed to uh, try and offset gentrification in Brixton uh, hasn't really succeeded but does still exist and does own a building um, so uh, that thread was always present uh, in my thinking and then a couple of three years ago, I began to uh, be pretty clear that the coming sort of emergency, uh, climate emergency, probably financial emergency, um, slow crash, uh, was coming too quickly for architectural work, no matter how wonderful, to be really able to change anything. I mean, I was building eco buildings, but um, the number of buildings that I was going to get done in the next 10 years weren't going to amount to a hill of beans. So I began to think seriously about uh, spending uh, the next few years of my productive life uh, at a deeper systemic level, really uh, focusing on skills and capabilities I had had uh, that could be applied at the deepest possible level. And after some looking around, um, I've got some tech skills, I've got some sort of interest in various philosophical areas and things like that. Uh, it seems pretty clear to me that uh, economic and financial systems are at the root of an awful lot of things that are going wrong at the moment and that 
from working in the Brixton Let scheme uh, 20 odd years ago and doing Matthew Slater's uh, Money and Society MOOC and reading fairly widely, I began to think that there was definitely work to be done there and mutual credit was definitely a key plank of that work. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you know, how do we build this new economy that's required? Um, and yeah, using mutual credit as, a, as an exchange mechanism and, um, and using uh, the, the viable system model as a, a, go a governance system. When I've, right. I've worked in the environment field for 25 years and I, we, we have to stop damaging nature, otherwise the future's gonna hold some horrors for humanity. Um, nature keeps sure. us alive and healthy. We, and, we can't stop damaging nature as long as we have a, an economy that's predicated on constantly increasing consumption. So we, yep. we need a new kind of economy, but how are we going to achieve that? Um, the parliamentary route, can, can we vote for a different economy? Uh, and if not, what? Violent revolution, divine intervention? Nothing's looking likely, so, so how? Right, um, yeah, I, I agree with you that uh, reformism is probably going to be too slow uh that uh violence is uh too risky mostly often uh ends up with uh, unintended consequences of a fairly uh unpleasant kind um and uh well divine intervention would be lovely um but i'm not going to hold my breath uh he didn't step in uh it's holocaust day today uh he didn't step in to stop uh, the murder in the concentration camps so uh mm -hmm. maybe he's had enough of us yeah. so i think it's up to us um so on the other hand urgent change is really needed you know we can't uh, hang about um so again um as I said before, what, what I'm looking for at the moment is the, the deepest systemic level at which it seems I have capacity to do something useful. Uh, there's a, a woman called Donella Meadows. Uh, uh, we could put a link in the uh, details. Uh, yeah, who, everything we talk about, I'll put a link in the description. Great, okay. So she was part of the Club of Rome that wrote the original Limits to Growth report in the early 70s and carried on doing that sort of work uh, for the rest of her life, thinking about systems, dynamic system change, complex systems and sustainability. And she's written this really good paper, um, which, uh, and it's in Wikipedia as well, which just sets out the various different layers of a system in which you can hope to interact, starting with really simple things like changing your own lifestyle and then the deepest thing is change the culture um, and so looking at as I say my capacities and uh, where we're at it seems to me again and again that the structural dynamics around the creation of money and are absolutely conditioning at a very deep level just about everything that um, this industrialized 
now pretty much global civilization can do. And from my experience with Let's and then learning later on, it's evident that smart people have come up with other ways of structuring and making the rules of a means of exchange system that are just as capable of supporting a complex economy, long supply chains, fancy stuff like the computers and the technology that we're using to record and disseminate this interview um, without requiring uh, endless growth just to service debt um, and therefore without implying capitalism and extractive uh, non-sustainable uh, modes of production. So that seems to me to be something well worth spending time on. And because it's, if we can make mutual credit a viable complementary alternative, but at least at the first stage uh, for many people to spend some or all of their time in that, just by itself will change the nature of their economic relation to consumption. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sort of interested in talking about how we federate uh, the non-extractive economy rather than growing big institutions, um, keep the institutions relatively small and federate them. So what, what, what have been the problems associated with trying to scale up um, using federation? Why, why have attempts at federation failed? Well, if you think about it, the, the sorts of economy we want to become the norm are ones which are sustainable. Uh, and a great part of being sustainable is uh, living within your means, not continually growing for the sake of growth. Um, so when people set up uh, co-ops or uh, mutual credit networks or other sorts of uh, non-extractive uh, value creation systems, whether they're economic or, or whether they're gift economies or whatever, by their nature, they don't grow rapaciously. They just, and they don't have a strong need to grow. When they get big enough, they slow down. And that's exactly what we want to see we want people to have enough to live decently, but not feel the need to accumulate more and more and more. So that's great. We want to build these systems, but the problem is that capitalism and, you know, that isn't necessarily just fat cat capitalism, Chinese capitalism, Russian capitalism, state capitalism, just the system of industrial economy based on this debt based scarce money that we've all been living with for hundreds of years is growing faster and faster. It's growing at an exponential rate and really the internet and West coast America venture capitalist culture has sort of lit the blue touch paper and the rate of growth, and the rate of expansion, is just spiraling out of control. So we have a real growth problem and we have a problem in reining that in 
with these non-extractive economic modes we want to replace them with because those don't grow fast. So this is where this word federation comes in. What we want is not a growth of scale, but a growth of impact, a growth of involvement. We want the sector that is non-extractive to grow really, really super fast and for people to actively want to step out of the extractive capitalist rat race sector and into this non-extractive sector. So if we can get millions, you know, within, you know, some reasonable length of time, you know, a couple of decades, billions of people to be getting their subsistence, at least from non-extractive sustainable economies, then that sector has to grow really fast. But it depends on trust, really, and human scale. And so it's got to grow as a network of human size organizations. It can't be, you know, two billion people on Facebook. Uh, it, that, that, that's just not a human scale organization. Um, so this idea of federation, this idea of many, many human scale organizations being able to interact with each other using modern technology, using sophisticated communications and management techniques and all this sort of stuff to be able to uh, produce, again, you know, things like computers, uh, mobile phones, uh, you know, uh, high-tech medical equipment so that we can have a decent standard of living. Uh, those are very complex supply chains, complex industrial processes, all of those things need to be somehow replicated without the huge machinery of capitalism. So federation, wise and effective interaction has to be the way forward. So how might um, uh, basing that federation on um, a mutual credit exchange system and uh, a viable system model governance system how 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 does that kind of approach work well okay so uh let's leave mutual credit to one side for a bit and talk about this this vsm thing because i know you've done an interview with trevor hilda who i know fairly well um so vsm again, again link in the description yeah yeah vsm stands for viable system model it's it's sort of it's a fairly uh, nerdy sort of technical uh, subject, really. But what it really comes down to is uh, a much more thoughtful and um, adaptable management model for human institutions, for any, any system, really, um, than the straightforward management and workers top-down hierarchical model which we've sort of inherited from the early 19th century and um, which is very sort of crude 
um, we tend to sort of split people into workers and bosses and that's all there is. Um, the viable system model is wiser than that and it says, well, organizations have to have different modes of operation to be able to persist in their environment and work effectively. So there is, of course, production, people actually doing things. Then there's coordination, different sets of people doing things need to be able to work in harmony to produce uh, effectively and um, without waste. Um, then, of course, there is a uh, sort of command and control function there, which um, communicates to various productive teams what ought to be done next and make sure that standards and things like that are working. Um, but as well as those three modes, which we might understand, it introduces two other modes, one of which is uh, it calls a guardianship. And that's about really keeping a very clear eye on the reason that we're all engaged in whatever the system is doing in the first place. So, you know, what is our purpose? Why are we doing this? And making sure that short-term goals or, that, or, or environmental buffeting or uh, just inattention don't let us go astray and something which we'd set out thinking was really great might end up just existing for the sake of existing or existing to make someone rich or something almost by mistake. So there's a sort of guardianship function that organizations need. And then there's another function which uh, is sometimes called sort of future and forward. It's basically the research, uh, the sort of sitting back and looking uh, at the wider context and making sure that um, surprises, new information from the environment are understood and incorporated into the action of the organization in a timely way. And I, now, I, wanted, to, I wanted to ask specifically how, how the viable system model works together with uh, mutual credit to try and bring about this federation of the non-extractive sector. So for me, uh, that BSM model uh, and mutual credit need to sort of also be considered uh, almost fused together through this thing that pe lots of people would have heard of, which is a sort of multi-stakeholder cooperative approach, uh, where what you do is you look at all the various different players in the system and you acknowledge that they may have different, uh, as it were, value propositions, you know, the reason they're there are different. Uh, and you try and design uh, the functioning of the organization and the governance of the organization so that those different stakeholder groups all can interact together. All of them will need the organization to achieve its purpose to succeed. And they need, for that, they need all the other groups to succeed. So, so really, I, I, sorry, sorry. sorry, talking about the federation itself is an entity yeah. which is a multi-stakeholder co-op. What you have, and this is a, an, again, another key aspect of the viable system build, is at every level of the system, you have the same 
type of structural thinking. So you have the technical term is recursion. So um, within a small work team of five people, you might have someone whose job it is to remember, you know, what our purpose is here and, uh, uh, or, or spend some time doing that. You might, you know, but then when three or four of those groups come together, you need to have a, a, a wider version of all those uh, systems. So if you think of a federation of mutual credit uh, networks, which is what we're talking about. So in order to be able to intertrade between networks, they all have to have access to some accounting system, some trade verification system, some business directory. Uh, who maintains that? Well, that will be a sort of specialist set of people, stakeholders. They'll maintain software and deal with you know, maybe handing records to the government at year end and that sort of thing on behalf of all the members. So they aren't the same as an ordinary member who just trades. So you get these different stakeholders and you get those at all, all the levels of scale. So you might have a little local neighborhood mutual credit, which would be more like a let scheme that people might know where you might just trade DIY tools and surplus produce. Uh, but then several of those um, might be joined into a regional, no, a, 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 I don't know, a, a town-sized network with shops and businesses in, and um, and then several towns might be uh, grouped together in a regional network. And at all levels of this federation, you've got these different stakeholders, and there'll be, you know, people who are investors. You know, the, these things um, will need money to get started in the environment we're in. They have very different value propositions from members and we need to align all these people very carefully but there'll be there'll be some things that we can't get from the non-extractive sector yet like laptops or cars um what do we do then just just suck it up and and do the best we can until until we can get them from the, the non-extractive sector there isn't really anything else we can do i mean um at the moment in the uk all pretty much the electrical power is generated by huge you know international businesses um we aren't going to change that overnight so we're always going to be for you know at least uh, the first couple of phases of building this new economy um in a mixed economy where we're you know holding our noses and doing uh business with organizations that um you know we think are probably on balance destructive but we have to live um the key for me will be making it as easy as possible at every stage for the next target sort of group of um uh, traditional businesses to be able to transition into uh, mutual credit either fully or partially as they go along. Um, I've been thinking about this with, with banks, uh, you know, banks are closing branches all over the country. And one reason they're trying to do this is they really would love to have no cash. They would love to have a cashless society because it's very cheap for them to run that they could sack you know huge proportion of their staff 
and just run everything with computers and a few hundred people at the head office if everyone's using uh, smart cards um, to pay for everything. Um, but actually, that's a two-edged sword for them because mutual credit works purely on information. It doesn't have physical tokens of cash. So actually, once the banks implement those systems, then at a certain level of scale, you know, then we just say to them, well, you know, start uh, becoming services of mutual credit. You know, yeah, you won't earn interest. You'll have to earn your money doing something else. But, you know, here's mutual credit. It's a coming thing. Um, so those sort of things, I think, are, you know, fun to think about now, not very seriously. But in the future, that, that'll be the way to think. So I guess a non-extractive economy will involve co-ops of various descriptions and um, sole traders, um, public sector workers, anything else? Co-ops are the obvious place to start. There's all sorts of great things about uh, working with co-ops. I mean, beyond the reasons we might think we like co-ops, co-ops have immediate access to individuals because all of the workers in a co-op uh, are members of a co-op. So um, we're planning to start this UK mutual credit network as a business to business network, but to, to expand throughout the economy, it needs to be able to serve individuals and the individuals within a co-op that's already in the mutual credit network will be a great place to start. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, the co-ops movement already has access to government you know it can go and talk to government and tell it what we need um so co-op sector is great the public sector is another brilliant target that i think you know we'd be looking at you know a lot sooner than we'd be looking at you know energy generation companies and things like that because most of the work that local authorities do is labor power you know, they employ local people to deliver local services. Well, that's basically tailor-made for mutual credit. And in an era of austerity, and even if the floodgates of uh, cash are opened, it's still going to take 10 or 15 years for lots of local authorities to build their services back up to where they were in 2010. So um, mutual credit networks can massively uh, leverage the power of uh, local local authorities to do great work. Um, so then, sole traders—they're basically, you know, individuals on steroids, really, I suppose. And they're, you know, the probably the main issues there will be sort of annoying ones about regulatory uh, status of whether this counts as consumer credit and really, you know just things that are far too detailed at the moment. So for sure, all of those sectors should be folded in within, you know, a reasonable timescale. And once you get local authorities, and then maybe you would next look to hospitals, then suddenly you have turned a huge corner mm -hmm. because those organizations employ tens, hundreds of thousands. I think the NHS possibly employs over a million people. And once a few of those employers realize what they can do with mutual credit, how it completely unlocks uh, the constraints of 
scarce money in delivering the services that they by and large you know strongly believe in as a social good that they want to deliver that will be enormous and and how do we keep the the individual units of this new economy small um, and federate them rather than allow I'm, I'm thinking of the co-op bank obviously it got enormous stumbled fell over got swallowed by a hedge fund it was gone and suddenly there was no there were no there, were, there wasn't a cooperative bank in the country and, and if it was a federation of small local cooperative banks then if part of it fell over and, and got bought out then we'd still have the rest of the federation how do we how do we keep the unit small well probably constant vigilance um, on the other hand um, it's seems clear to me that mutual credit at least to start with is going to be less economically useful than the pound in your pocket the pound in your pocket can be spent on anything that's for sale in this country but a mutual credit network that's starting out with only few thousand members will only be able to be spent on things that those few thousand members can provide and that's going to be limited so as a purely economic uh, means of exchange, it's not going to be as good as pounds for some time to come. So what makes it better? Uh, we have to look to things that aren't purely economic, and those are trust, uh, community, solidarity. And those things, turns out, are actually economically useful as well you know you'll give more credit into a network where you know that a majority of the members there are people that you've sort of met or that you understand their ethos uh, than you would to an anonymous internet sort of mutual lending corporation or something like that um, so I think there will be a natural tendency for these networks not to grow as I've said before you know the whole nature of non-extractive economics is that people tend to grow until they're happy and then just stop whereas businesses usually grow and 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 grow, 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 grow and well, they have to keep ret increasing returns to their shareholders don't they yeah um, and also because they're in a competitive environment even if you you know might start a cafe and think after a couple of years oh this is great we'll just run this cafe until i retire uh, this is lovely i make um a decent living and i like my customers suddenly next door is a cafe near on one side and a you know starbucks three doors up and uh your business goes you know so People feel that they have to grow even if they don't want to in, in the capitalist sector. So we need to leverage this social side of the mutual credit networks and that will tend to limit their scale of individual networks. People will like to be in networks where they know they can trust people and that will give them a value which uh, adds to the pure economic value of the currency units that you get. That's so just a little, life. just a little, yeah, uh, anecdote about that. Bricks and Let scheme. I was active in that for four years or so. Effectively, for me, it stopped being a viable organisation 
you know, after about a couple of years after that. And that was all, so that was nearly 20 years ago since I've been an active member of Bricks and Let's. It's, you know, not a thing. But the acquaintances that I made through the not particularly sort of economically powerful trading that I did over those years have lasted me 20 years. And I now, you know, I'm knitted into the fabric of Brixton. I have this great network of acquaintances who I can see and I don't have to say, oh my gosh, we haven't seen each other for so long. We must ring. We must, we must go to the pub more often like you do with friends and you, you know that neither of you are really going to do it. These are straight acquaintances. You can just say, hi, haven't seen you for a few years. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, kids growing up. See ya. And you're just happy that they're there. You know, mm. uh, it's a really massive thing, I think, in uh, modern society. Yeah. What What will be the biggest barriers to this kind of approach? Do you think? And And how How might we overcome them or get around them? <sighs> lots of lots of barriers. Uh, the biggest one, I think, of course, is the stuff inside people's heads. You know, we've had hundreds of years in the West of scarcity-based money, debt-based money, monopoly-controlled money, commodity ideas about money. And those things have worked their way into the culture. You know, sort of famous quotes from Dickens, you know, you know they're just part of the way we grow up is thinking about how money has always worked. Um, and when you say to people, it doesn't have to work like that, you know, they quite often sort of get a bit leery, you know, basically. Someone comes up to you and says, oh, I know more about money than you do. You should join in with this new scheme I've got. It'll make you rich. Mostly you think, hmm, Here's someone talking about something I don't really understand. They say they know more money, more about money than I do, and they want me to invest time or effort into it. Uh, I think I'm going to get ripped off here. You know, that's a standard response that people might have. You know, so we're going to have to develop a lot of sort of soft culture around yeah. what mutual credit is. Yeah, so maybe people, we need more. Um, maybe we need more accessible information and videos and talks and books and blog articles. Games, stories, you know, cartoons, comics, films, you know, all sorts of, you know, uh, it's going to take probably hundreds of years for some of the deeply ingrained feelings about money that this culture has got to work themselves through. Mm-hmm. But, and also, I mean, yeah. it, the extractive sector are going to want to keep extracting, and they have quite a lot of power. Uh, yeah. What's to stop them buying up parts of the federation or leaning on governments to legislate against us? Um. Okay, so number one, we have to craft our legal constitutions and checks and balances and governance agreements really carefully um that's that's crucial um so that what happened to the building societies can't happen to us so we have to put these sort of poison pills into 
our constitutions that make it just not worth the bother for uh, financializing institutions to come and try and rip the value out of the networks. Um, as to um, legislation stacking the decks against us, that's sort of bound to happen. I mean, if you look at the history of all uh, sort of uh, the sort of mutual uh, solidarity financial institutions that working classes have built, building societies, mutual assurance societies, you know, even the uh, all, all, all sorts of things that the, 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 the poor and disadvantaged tend to group together and uh, build some sort of mutual solidarity schemes. Any of those that become successful um, in, tend to attract lots and lots of legislation, uh, which is framed as, oh, well, you know, there have been some failures in this sector and some people have lost their savings. So, of course, um, you know, we've got to now uh, mean, oh, well, yes, you can run a mutual bank, but you've got to have 20 million pounds in the bank as uh, collateral before you can open it. So um, have you got 20 million pounds? Oh, well, you'll have to shut down then. You know, that sort of thing sort of bound to happen. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do, I think, is to frame the legal structures of our organizations as closely as possible to existing organizations so that if they try and legislate us out of existence, they'll also be legislating mm. traditional businesses out of existence. Mm. And, you know, that sounds a bit slick, but that's basically, you know, a really uh, clear strategy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And where, where do the resources come from to make this happen? So, we sort of have to build this out of thin air. Um, what we're doing is we're saying we're building a sector which will not produce massive profits. It, we're, it's a non-extractive sector. So um, that means it's hard to get the sort of investment you might think of for building another sort of business uh, to come in. Um, however, uh, there are some very smart people around and, uh, a chap called Chris Cook, who's on our sort of advisory panel has come up with this, uh, particular approach, which allows investors to get a fixed rate of return and only on the basis that the project succeeds. So there will, there will be a vehicle for um, patient investors, investors who share the same analysis that we do of impending you know, slow crashes in the environment and the financial system, and who want to build resilience against that to make you know, hard cash investment uh, that will repay them decently in hard cash terms as the mutual credit system expands. And I think we can design legal and financial systems that will make those investments attractive enough and 
safe in terms of not giving away control or ownership to people who are only putting in cash. Do you honestly think that there's widespread support for a, a movement like this? No, I don't think that you could call it widespread. I think there's... Uh, I think the door is there to be pushed open among progressive uh, financial circles, progressive economists and people like Positive Money, Good Money, Rethinking Economics, New Economics Foundation, Kate Roweth's uh, Donut Economics uh, people. There's a lot of new oxygen around economics for non-orthodox approaches. There's an amazing woman called Stephanie Kelton in America who's, uh, you know, pushing modern monetary theory ideas, which are sort of halfway towards mutual credit, to be honest, uh, into very right-wing business people and getting actually quite strong receptions. So uh, I don't think that the general public or even the general chief financial officer uh, in business circles has any real clue what mutual credit is. But I think the chances of us getting uh, good support and constructive engagement with the financial, uh, progressive financial and progressive economics communities are pretty high. And that uh, I think will lead to some investment and probably to some regulatory uh, simplifications. You know, if we get support from those sort of types, talking to government, that should help. So, yeah, I, to be honest, I think widespread support isn't going to come until... Uh, people meet their friends who say, oh, yeah, yeah, my firm's doing this weird, funny money stuff, but you know what? It's working. Uh, it's going to be not so much support as people voting with their feet when they hear their friends, their, you know, people down the golf club saying, well, yeah, I joined this scheme and, you know, my turnover's going up and uh, my debt payments are going down. So yeah, give it a go. Yeah. I guess it'll grow when it's established and it's easy to join, I suppose. So the problem with all those things is it's always chicken and egg, you know, how, how do you get there from here? You know, when, so we're going to have to start with uh, enthusiasts, with people who really want it to work with people who yeah. share our analysis yeah. and we're going to have to plow through a uh, couple of three years of um, fine tuning things, you know, pump priming, building networks, refining the software, the accounting, all those things to make it as easy as yeah. possible to use. And that's why I think we need to be thinking seriously about raising finance to get us through those periods. We can't do it in a pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. doesn't matter if it takes 20 years modality because capitalism's growing too far and too fast and the climate's collapsing too fast and too far uh, for guess, us um, to... I guess take. if it works, uh, I guess it will, will have been quite exciting to have been an early adopter. 
for sure for sure um you know being an early adopter is always an interesting thing you know you sort of uh you know there are ups and downs to being an early adopter but um uh, the the designs that we're thinking of and the ways that we're thinking of allowing and encouraging businesses to participate in the mutual credit network are carefully structured to avoid anybody getting seriously burnt. Mm -hmm. And uh, final question really, um, do you think we have enough time? Uh, doesn't matter, we gotta do it. You know, uh, it's the old transition town thing, you know, uh, is transition thinking going to save the, save our civilization? We don't know, but if we don't try, it definitely won't work. And if we do try and it fails, who do you want to have been working with? The people who've been building resilience or uh, the people who've been working to destroy stuff? You know, I want to be with you guys. Yeah. Whatever happens. Well, then, Dil, thanks ever so much for the chat. Thank you. And uh, I'll, well, I'll speak to you again next week. Okay. Cheers. Cheers, Andil. Yeah, good night.